You're listening to a podcast from the 5th Annual Tudor and Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference. The conference took place at Maynooth University on the 28th and 29th of August, 2015. The conference was generously supported by Marsh's Library, the Department of History at Maynooth University, Graduate Studies Office at Maynooth University, UCD Research, UCD School of History, and the Irish Research Council through a new Foundations Award. Podcasting was by Real Smart Media. In this episode, a recording of a paper by Philip Walsh from University College Dublin. His paper was entitled The Tyrannical Usage and Uncharitable Proceedings of Martin Blake Fitzandrew, circa 1620-1691, The Career of an Internal Transplanter from Galway Town to County Galway, and the Establishment of the Ballyglunan Estate. So Martin Blake Fitzandrew of Galway Town, subsequently of Comer County Galway, was a Catholic Burgess merchant and landowner of minor gentry status. He was involved in the corporation of the town of Galway and was a sheriff and a commissioner of the excise during the 1640s. He was the progenitor of what became in the 18th century the Blakes of Ballygrunen. I will sketch his experience as an internal transplanter within Connacht, examining how he expanded his estate, the methods he used to secure this expanding estate and the importance of mortgages in the accumulation of property. The majority of these transactions took place in the barony of Clare, um, which you can see in the Barney map, north of Galway Town. Martin Blake Fitzandrew belonged to a well-established merchant family long residence and trading in the town of Galway. His father had amassed considerable land in counties Mayo and Galway by the reign of James I. His elder brother Walter inherited this land and considerably expanded his holdings, particularly in Mayo, during the 1620s and 30s. On the eve of the surrender of Galway to the parliamentary forces, on the 5th of April 1652, Martin Blake Fitzandrew owned, within the town and liberties of Galway, at least three houses, ten acres and a plot of ground, as well as fishing rights adjacent to the town of Walls. In counties Mayo and Galway, he owned at least 13 quarters of land, as well as further fishing rights and mills. The Articles of Galway of April 1652 guaranteed the townsmen the retention of their property within the town and two-thirds of their rural estates. The Articles granted were held to be too lenient by the parliamentary commissioners in Dublin, and made an attempt to impose qualifications and limitations on the Galway townsmen, in particular that they would only retain two-thirds of their urban property. Only eight townsmen signed these, with 104 refusing, and another 81 were listed as being absent from the town. Among these 81 who were absent were Martin Blake and his two brothers. Both Martin and his elder brother, Walter, were still involved with the corporation of Galway, as well as what little merchant dealings remained for them, so their absence was a deliberate act. Martin Blake, acting for a section of the town's band, petitioned the commissioners according to the capitulation of Galway. Finding that the commissioners were not satisfied without further explanations on the capitulation of Galway, the petition proposed they surrender their urban property in Galway in exchange for the full value and profitable lands contiguous to their existing estates in the county, or money in lieu thereof. He hoped that this would ensure the discharge of the payment of their monthly contribution and other demands which payments he claimed they were unable to satisfy, being totally destroyed in their personal fortunes, caused by the length of the wars, the decay of trade, the pestilence and so many late payments. The April 1652 Articles of Galway guaranteed their property within the town, except upon just grounds and good proofs of their future misdemeanour, which may endanger the security of the town. Using the fact that some of the townsmen had quitted their habitations and removed their stocks, 
The parliamentary commissioners used their withdrawal from the town to portray their intention as solely out of their dissatisfaction to the parliament and their forces and ordered the confiscation of their houses in 1653. Article 5 of the Articles of Galway guarantee their urban property except where it was contiguous to any considerable castle, fortification or place of strength. In 1655, the whole of Galway was declared a garrison, place of strength and fortification. Therefore, all Catholics were ordered to leave the town and pursuant to the Articles, for them to receive the full value of their property left behind. On the 23rd of May 1656, Martin Blake Fitzandrew, pursuant to the Articles of Galway, received a decree of the commissioners at Athlone for 425 acres. This was held by the commissioners to be two-thirds of his previously held estates outside the town and liberty of Galway. This was set out by the commissioners at Loch Ray a year later, consisting of 353 acres of Killinmore, 51 acres of Killinbug, and 21 acres of Bala. And As you can see by the map of the three tracts of land, the three tracts were, to which he was transplanted were directly adjoining each other and constituted a compact land holding from which he began the re-establishment of his fortunes. His rural estate prior to 1652 consisted of 13 quarters in counties Galway and Mayo. If you take it that a quarter is roughly equal to 120 acres in Connacht, this gives a rough conversion to 1,590 acres. By this measurement, his transplanted estate represented less than one-third, 27%, of his previous estate, despite being guaranteed two-thirds of his rural estate. In Martin Blake's case, this would only make sense if the property he held by mortgage was excluded and that of the bare minimum. While not an accurate representation, it does give an illustration of the dramatic loss suffered by Martin and those who were forced to transplant. It also does not take into account his urban property, which, if anything, and Martin certainly considered it, was more valuable than his rural holdings. Despite the Articles of Galway guaranteeing the urban property of those entitled to its protection, he did not receive any compensation for his interest in Galway town. Few, if any, did. The position of Martin Blake Fitzandrew as a commissioner for the excise in 1647, his petition to the parliamentary commissioners for debts due of £800 in December 1652, and in January 1653, the fact that he was able to pass a bond for £1,000 to ensure the covenants of a marriage settlement for a second marriage gives an illustration of the extent of his wealth at the period. The devastation of 11 long years of war had destroyed much of the economy of the country, but the merchants of Galway were able to continue on trading and were still in a position to raise money to fund the war, albeit in much reduced circumstances. He immediately set about restoring his fortunes, becoming part of the fluid land market that surrounded the transplantation. Even before land had been set out to transplanters in a specific county or barony, the acreage they were to receive in Connacht hands. Robert Forstall was transplanted from County Kilkenny. On the 23rd of May 1656, the commissioners at Athlone issued a decree that he was entitled to 200 acres. That was the same day that Martin Blake Fitzandrew received his decree. Two months later, Forstall sold this 200 acres, whose location had yet to be precisely set out within Connacht or Clare to Martin Blake. Attempts to put some order in to their new estates began almost immediately. In 1658, William Kirwan surveyed the quarter of Rasheen's, delineating the divide between Martin Blake Fitzandrew and James Clough's respective proportions. On the resulting map, there is depicted a series of three buildings, one a two-storey house with a roof, indicating a relatively substantial settlement on the land. And we'll come to the restoration land settlement. 
During the Restoration, one of the ways to achieve the reestablishment or just to secure an estate was through the arrangements worked out by patrons and their clients. Martin Blake entered into such an arrangement with Richard Butler, Earl of Arran, in an attempt to gain secure title to his transplanted and subsequently purchased estate. On the 2nd and 3rd of April 1666, Martin entered into deeds of lease and release, selling 625 acres to Richard Butler, Earl of Arran. Then on the 4th and 5th of April, Richard Earl of Arran entered into deeds of lease and release, selling the same lands back to Martin at a rent of £3 a year. Um, the map shows the details of the land concerns that were sold. This is land Martin had been transplanted to and had accumulated himself over, over the previous decade. It was clearly an attempt to gain secure title to this land. This arrangement with Richard Earl of Arran only concerned part of Martin's land holding at the time and shows a specific method of attempting to secure the concerned lands in the face of the deficiencies of title that Martin felt these lands to hold. A deficiency that was ultimately only to be met by the 1676 Court for Hearing the Claims of Transplanted Persons in the Province of Connacht and the County of Clare. The majority of transplanters weren't even taken into consideration until the 22nd of September 1675, when the King appointed commissioners to hear and determine the claims of all transplanted persons, as such estates remained subject to much doubt and uncertainty, leading to the establishment of the Court for Hearing the Claims of Transplanted Persons in 1676. Martin Blake Fitzandrew petitioned as one of the inhabitants of the town of Galway, on whose behalf the King, by his letter of the 17th of June 1661, signified his intention to enforce the Articles of Galway to restore the ancient inhabitants to their estates. Martin set out his several hand, houses, lands, tenements, hereditaments he held in 1641, complained that he was compelled by mean necessity to exhibit his claim to the pretended court at alone. He continued that he had to always been an inoffensive in his department never faithful and loyal to his majesty, and suffered much for adhering to his royal government and authority, and now petitioned in respect of merit and sufferings for a decree restoring his ancient estate, but this request um, to be restored to his ancient estate was simply a legal formality. In the meantime, he faced the stark reality and continued in his petition that until his ancient estate was restored to him, he wished to be confirmed in his transplanted lands and the lands he had subsequently purchased. <coughs> He was in Dublin to ensure the successful navigation of his petition through the Court of Claims. He was involved in the transactions that surrounded the Court and lent money to other petitioners attempting to press their claims. There was money to be made from the dealings involved in the Court, and Martin Blake's ability to lend money at this critical juncture was essential to securely maintaining and expanding his estate. He had continued his merchant dealings throughout the Restoration, and his younger brother, Andrew Ogeg Blake, on the ship which traded between Galway and the West Indies in the period. On the 26th of July 1677, under the Acts of Settlement and Explanation, Martin Blake Fitzandrew obtained letters patent for 1,895 statute acres of profitable land in the barony of Clare. And you can see the map there, the lands included in the patent. These were lands that were, he was transplanted to and he had accumulated over the previous 20 years. The king now granted secure title to these lands. The lands Martin was transplanted to consisted of slightly over a third, 36% of the lands he, was, he obtained the confirmation of his title by letters patent. The rest he accumulated himself in the intervening period purchasing from Catholics and Protestants. The deficiencies in land title that the Court of Claims for Transplanters resolved were of a very specific nature. The absence of the townland of Ballygloonie, among other lands that he had accumulated from the patent, illustrates this. 
And you can see the full extent of the main Vatican on the stage in uh, Bern, Clare, and our surrounding Bernies at the end of the 17th century there. Uh, the townland of Ballygloonin had changed hands numerous times during the 50s, 1650s and 60s. Early in the restoration, it was in the possession of Jordan, Lord Baron Kingston. It was specifically mentioned in the instructions for the execution of Charles II's gracious declaration as one of the Protestant purchasers who, in the payment of one year's value of the profits of the land, was to have their title confirmed. The townland is subsequently in the possession of Charles Holcroft, one of the parliamentary signees of the Articles of Galway, and a Lockray commissioner, who finally sold Ballyglooning to Martin Blake Fitzandrew. A secure title was already confirmed. There was no need to go to the extra expense of getting it included in the letters patent granted by the Court of Claims for Transplanters. From the moment of his transplantation, Martin Blake purchased land and where, as and where he could. In the first few years after his arrival on his transplanted lands, he had at least 200 additional acres to the 425 acres he was transplanted to. And he was involved in further transactions with Sir Richard Blake and with his own brother, Walter. The ability of Galway merchants to re-enter the land market in force was enabled by their continued ability to function as merchants, even to be able to call in loans due prior to the 1660s. A loan of Martin Blake Fitznicholas, a distant relative of this family, who died about 1651, was brought to arbitration 20 years later in 1671 between Martin Blake Fitznicholas's executor, his brother John Blake Fitznicholas of Mullockmore, and Martin Blake Fitzandrew. Martin Blake Fitzandrew was awarded a yearly rent charge out of the lands of Mullockmore to settle this debt. John Blake Fitznicholas soon fell behind in his payments, and Martin distrained on the lands of Mullockmore. John complained to his son Henry, who was at the time on uh, Montserrat, and I quote, By the tyrannical usage and uncharitable proceedings of my cousin Martin Blake, I was necessitated to sell my few cows to make him payment. My poor tenants all destroyed and broken by his means these two years past. Martin Blake Fitzandrew was involved in at least 16 individual purchases of land in the period from the transplantation until the mid-1680s. These range from the precarious and in many ways speculative investment in Robert Forstall's art loan decree included large purchases of land including 278 acres of Ardnesadden and directly to the north of Ardnesadden, 95 acres of Ballygloonin, around which purchases the main Ballygloonin estate evolved in the 18th century. The stewardship of his estate meant not even the chance to add a spare four acres to his grown land holding in the barony in the townland of Bonongan was ignored. The lands he was transplanted to were quickly added to and were concentrated primarily in the same area within the barony of Clare, showing concern on Martin's part to consolidate as compact a land holding as possible. The establishment of his estate in County Galway was conducted as Martin re-established himself in Galway town. He purchased a house in Middle Street in 1677 and soon added the interest in half of two different mills within the town. And one of the methods by which he achieved this build-up of property was mortgages. They were a long-established method of estate accumulation for the merchants of Galway. Galway merchants and townsmen began acquiring land throughout Connacht from at least the middle of the 16th century, initially just to ensure a secure line of provisions for the town. Prior to 1641, freeholders were getting into debt and mortgaging their lands throughout Ireland. These mortgages, into, in, these mortgages entailed usufruct possession for the duration of the mortgage. This is the custom for the mortgagee, the person lending the money, to hold the land and its profits until the loan was repaid, and who often ended up with the actual possession of the land and the fault of their own. If the mortgager wished to remain on the lands he had mortgaged, 
you would have to pay rent on top of the interest you owed on the mortgage. Mortgages of the period took the form of a normal deed of lease and release, that is, a deed of purchase, enacted over two days and nearly indistinguishable from these purchase, deeds of purchase, but for a proviso added to the deed of mortgage that the deed would be cancelled on the payment by the mortgager or his heirs of the principal sum and the full interest due to the lender or his heirs. That mortgages re- remained their importance throughout the war years is illustrated by the petition of Martin Blake Fitzandrew to the commissioners according to, to the capitulation of Galway, where he explicitly requested that mortgages be redeemed in full in any confiscation of their urban property. From the 1660s, these pra- this practice resumed. Again, the merchants of Galway, with their access to ready money, began to enter into mortgages with the current shareholders of the land. The mortgage Martin Blake Fitzandrew entered into with William Burke of Carantrilly is a striking example of this. William Burke of Carantrilly was quickly behind in his repayments and had to use further land in his own and his own family's possession in order to keep up with his debts, even just to pay the rent he owed Martin Blake and retain in tenancy of his own land. Without the tumultuous years of the war of the two kings, it is almost certain that these lands would have come into the possession of Martin Blake and his family. Instead, the mortgage land concerned was forfeited on the attainder of William Burke of Carantrilly. Martin Blake Fitzandrew's grandson had to settle for the outstanding debt the trustees for the fortified estates held to be owings on the mortgage in 1702, minus any rent or other benefit the Ballygloon and Blakes had profited from the land in the 1690s, in direct contravention to the usurfuck possession the mortgage was held under. At the close of Charles II's reign, Martin Blake Fitzandrew had accumulated an estate in excess of 2,000 acres in fee simple land, consisting of 21 quarters of land in counties Mayo and in Galway, and property in the town of Galway, consisting of at least a house, um, with a front and back house, a cellars and a yard in Middle Street, and an interest in two mills. Martin Blake Fitzandrew gives a good illustration of the experience of a member of the minor gentry's attempt to re-establish themselves following the transplantation. He clearly benefited from the fractured landmark that followed the transplantation and the restoration and used his wealth to buy and lease land as well as to lend money to other families. Martin Blake Fitzandrew, by entering into substantial mortgages, shows the recommencement of a trend seen prior to 1641, whereby the Galway towns were able to accumulate the vast amount of land they held throughout Connacht. The upheaval of the War of the Two Kings meant that the tendency of the 16th and early 17th centuries where mortgages ultimately resulted in a fee-simple ownership of land by the mortgagee was not replicated to the same extent. Through these mortgages, to impoverished owners and buying up and leasing land, whatever land was available, no matter what the source, even his own extended family, Martin cemented himself more fully in the new interest. A new interest which was to develop throughout the restoration period, but which clearly had its roots in the initial stages of the transplantation. Thank you.